0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, church family. I just had a really cool conversation about self-control with some friends, and I'd love to share it with you. The first thing we talked about was just what is self-control. If some of your classmates are doing something real bad, um... And you're not doing it, even if it looks like a lot of fun. To me, it means um, not letting my flesh control the situation. Then we talked about when in our lives it's hard to practice self-control. When someone's annoying me. When I tell them to stop like 15 times and they still won't stop. That can get get really hard. Because then it's easy to get angry, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, a, a simple answer would be uh, at the ice cream store, mm-hmm. and restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, or shopping. At, in my case, shopping at Friedman's because I love woodworking. And in those situations, what we do to control ourselves? I usually act like it's not a big deal on the outside, but on the inside, I am really mad. You know, I just turn on the television. <laughs> And finally, we gave some examples of people in our lives that show really good self control. Since I've been to New Life, a dear friend and mentor would be Ron Hunt. Probably my friend Adrian. You now, I have a mentor in Denver. She is the kind of person that you look at and you think she has it all together. I want to finish by saying thank you to Shepard, Tiger, Jimmy T, and Donna for being a part of this conversation with me. And I can't wait to see how our ideas of self-control line up with what we're gonna learn today. Good morning, New Life. Today we are capping out our Life Hacks or COVID Hacks teaching series. And I am not ready to say goodbye to this thing yet. Uh, The series has been based on this list, this beautiful list of Christian traits. And they are traits that we affiliate with Jesus, who is the leader of this Christian movement. But they are traits that we desperately wish were actually uh, characteristic of us as well. And during COVID, this is a list of traits that we desperately need, more than we ever have needed before. So the list is found in Galatians, and it says this, God's Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Am I right? Could you use a few of those today specifically? (laughs) I'm not ready to let this thing go because I still need help in this area. And it's been really helpful for me, actually. I don't know if you think about this kind of thing, but those of us who teach, we are not the experts. We are just the learners who are daring greatly to share what we're learning in front of other people. That's all we are. So this series has been really powerful for me to press into these concepts of like, okay, What is the hack here? Because I am so tempted, because I need these traits so badly, to think that the hack is to produce more of these traits in my life. But that's where this entire series is kind of ironic. Basically, what Jesus is saying about these traits are, hey, if you like these traits in your life, you need to foster a connection with God's Spirit. And out of that, these traits will just naturally come. But ironically, we are so tempted to think that because we are Christians, these traits are supposed to be part of our life, or maybe during this season when we need it so badly, that this is our responsibility to produce these Christian traits in our life. And so, pressing into this idea of what does it mean for God's Spirit to produce this fruit in my life, and yet press into each one of the traits specifically to find out where might I be blocking God's Spirit so that this doesn't just naturally flow out of me, or how could I foster God's Spirit more in my life in this area so that this trait can show up now that I need it so badly. So today we're capping off the series with the last trait on the list. And the irony just continues because the last trait is self-control. If ever there was a trait that we really assume is our responsibility to produce, it's self-control. I mean, the name says it all. It is my job to control myself. That's what we think. So, when I say this series has been so helpful for me as a teacher, I, what I mean to say is I have really wrestled with this topic because of all of the traits. This is the one that I am the most likely to assume and to apply as though the truth is that God expects me to be a good Christian and control myself, that I expect me to be a good person and control myself, and that I'm disappointed when I find that, especially in pressurized times like these, that I'm not producing this fruit, But in my wrestling, it was so fun to press in with God and be like, hey, why'd you word it this way? (laughs) Why'd you name it this? Like, is that an English translation problem? Like, how did we end up with a trait on the list of things that are just naturally produced in our lives by God with a trait that claims self-control? So that's what we're pressing into this morning. And I'm hopeful that the learning curve that I have been on in the last weeks praying about presenting this concept will be helpful for you as we explore a different way to look at self-control. Because ultimately, we actually don't want to look straight at these traits and focus on these traits. In every way, shape, or form, this series is meant to have us look through the lens of one of these traits, but look right past the trait and look at God's Spirit, because that's the hack. God's presence in our lives is what produces these fruits. So this morning, as we look through the lens of the trait of self-control may we see god's spirit would we see god's activity in our lives would we feel his presence in such a way that we find ourselves with more self-control than we had before we began the day that should be fun so god If we haven't done so already before this moment in the process of worship or in uh, gathering together and chatting in the chat space, if we haven't done so before, we're pausing right now to acknowledge that you are in this space with us. And when we meet together as a church in person, it's so much easier to believe that you're in that space because we have assumptions about how you hang out at the church building. But also, because whenever we gather together, we can sense your presence more easily. It's just obvious. We can see it written on the faces of other people. We can feel it in this space. But this morning, we gather not in person. We're in our homes. We might be out at parks. We're all over the place. And I love the Christian truth that is present, even in that reality, that you are everywhere. You're sitting with me in this Dry Creek bed. You're in the home with the people sitting in their jammies. You're in bed with the people watching from their bed. You're out on a walk with the people that are listening while they walk. You're everywhere. But sometimes that Christian reality makes us forget that you are right here. Right now. Always. So we're just pausing as we begin our conversations together about what you and I have been talking about. We're just pausing to acknowledge the reality that you're here and to actually like tune in. I mean, that was the whole hope of this series was that we would get more comfortable and more confident with our ability to tap into your presence real time. So this is just our good excuse to pause for a second and to acknowledge the reality that you are here and to tune our spirits into your presence so that as we continue this conversation human to human, that we haven't left out the secret sauce that is you. We do love our external processing and our learning processes and our human to human connection and we can hear you through each other's voices. But if we miss you, if we miss the real deal, the unfiltered presence of you, then we've really missed out. So this is just our opportunity to pause to welcome you into this space, to invite you into this space, but really to acknowledge that you're already here and to tune our spirits in. Amen. Okay, so let's press into this irony. I think first thing we have to do is dispel some of the unhelpful thinking that we've had around self-control. So I grew up with this little song, I don't know if you have this precious little ditty in your head too, but all the way through this preparation about self-control, I've had this little song stuck in my head. Self-control is just control myself, it's listening to my heart and doing what is smart. It goes on, I'll spare you. (laughs) But honest to goodness, the vast majority of direct training that I received on self-control, including research that I did for this conversation, actually teaches the opposite of what this Life hack series is trying to say. It honestly interacts with self-control as though it is my responsibility to control myself. And I get why we do that, but for the purposes of today's conversation, we have to acknowledge that that is actually not helpful thinking. In fact, don't you find that rather exhausting? I find self-control, when I picture self-control, For me, let's say some um, uncomfortable interaction has happened and I find myself welling up with some truth that needs to be said. This is the moment, like quintessential self-control for Angela. (laughs) In that moment, my unhelpful view of self-control would say that I have to find a way to not explode onto this person, that that is my Christian duty. That is my responsibility. And it also, even if I wasn't a Christian, it is what maturity demands of me. But the truth is that is doubly exhausting. Because that two things have to happen in order for me to be a good Christian. I have to find a way to tamp Down the truth that wants to explode out of me. I get that it's unhealthy, so you might be saying, well, the self-control isn't so much about, well, don't say the truth, but control yourself to say the truth in a helpful way. But that truthfully is doubly exhausting. I have to tamp down the painful truth, the, the thing that's causing me angst. I have to tamp that down, and somehow, I have to find the maturity to come out with a more helpful version of it. So it is like both, Filtering out stuff and finding a way to bring just the good stuff up. I find this view of self-control to be exhausting and as I interact with research that's out there and teaching that's out there and what I grew up with and conversations that I have with you, I find most of us have this unhelpful view of self-control. That is an accurate definition of controlling myself. But I don't think that's what God is referring to in this list of Christian traits that he promises are just things that will show up in our lives if we just have his presence around. So one of the things that I did as I was preparing for this conversation was to switch my thinking from the control of self, self self-control, to this concept of like, who is restraining me? Because the truth is, you and I, we could use some restraint. (laughs) Right now, there's just like a volcano of gross that could come out of me. I could really use some restraint, which is why I am finding it so discouraging to focus on self-control, because I am not winning at this as often as I'd like, because there is a lot more in this season that wants to come out than in a usual season. Um, So one of the things that I've switched in my thinking is instead of considering this self-control, like I must control myself, is just the control of self. I have a self that is wanting to well up. Who will restrain me? Who will control what I don't actually want to happen?" When I pressed into that idea, it led to this train of thought of, wait a second, like I, I don't love that narrative about me, that I am just this volcano filled with yuck that is needing someone to like, okay, Angela, hold, hold your crap together, please. I don't love that narrative, but if I'm honest, isn't that true? Isn't there a volcano of stuff that would like to come out of us that in truth, we actually don't want to come out of us? And this is the, the other train of thought that got sparked by this idea of self-restraint or someone restraining myself, someone restraining self, is that I actually have two different truths at play at all times. I hope that that is not distracting to you because her presence here is always such a help to me. But yeah, I am aware we're all looking at the dog right now. <laughs> so let's go back just a second. So this train of thought has sprung up when I considered this idea, if am I working on self control, like I will control myself, or is there a more helpful way to look at this where I consider who will control me? Myself needs to be controlled. But then that pressed into this narrative that, like, seriously, do I, am I really defining myself by this volcano of yuck that constantly needs to be restrained? Is that really who God says I am? Does that line up with what I understand God to say about me? I know it lines up with the evidence. Like, that seems to be a reality that I live in. But I realized as I pressed into that, I actually always live in two realities. So let's go back to that moment where someone has uh, done something and I have this strong desire to um, very emphatically tell the truth in a way that my point will not be missed and you might be crushed in the process. This is my moment for self-control. What I realized when I press into that moment, and I'll bet this is true about you, too, is that I actually have two selves that in this moment when I am like Mm -hmm. bursting at the seams with some harsh truth to be laid out for the person who has offended me, that at the same time, I also have a self that is like, oh, please don't do that. Please don't do that. You're going to have to turn around and apologize in a minute. And and it's probably not going to be in a minute. You're probably going to spiral for the next day in shame, feeling mortified by how you have behaved. Please don't hurt them in this way. Please don't embarrass us in this way. At the same time, I have this well up of things that needs to be restrained. I also have another self There is another self in there that is whispering to me invitations to gentleness. Whispering to me invitations to be the master of my own destiny and choose what I actually want. And if I'm honest, third grade Angela really only ever had the truth-telling, emphatic, perhaps yelling version. But 42-year-old Angela has another strong voice in there who is compelling her to make a different choice, to actually stand in a moment and realize what my choices are. And this unhelpful view of self-control leads me to believe that my two choices are express myself, let my truth be known, make sure my point is made, or hold my breath. And that is not a helpful view at all. In reality, what I've been mulling on for the last few weeks and talking to God about what I want to talk about here is that I actually think we have another um, self, another place available to us that calls uh, out a different response that isn't about restraint in its nature. It is actually a different choice, not a choice between good and bad responses, but a choice about which self I'm going to tap into, because you and I have two selves. Here's a helpful way to view it. Uh, if we could just take a moment and pause, I want to show you a video because this is a visual that's been super helpful for me as I have begun to ferret out the self-reliance from my self-control. So take a look. here is the analogy that has been so incredibly helpful for me as I have pressed in how to get out the idea that self-control is actually a self-reliant trait that I need to produce. So here we have three valves because Steamboat Willie had three valves but we're gonna picture ourselves as having two valves and these valves have a lever on them that allows them to release something which in this case makes a beautiful whistle sound. But for us, these represent our two selves. The Bible often refers to this as our flesh nature. Last time I spoke, we were talking about goodness, and I kept referring to it as our flawed nature. You can also sometimes hear it referred to as our fallen nature. It's our very human side. But we also have a spirit nature. This is the part of us that is made in the image of God. This is the part of us that when we become Christians and we receive God's Spirit into us, this is the part of us that grows over time. This is the part of us that is this life hack that we're talking about. If we could find a way to tap into that valve, then our life will be producing these beautiful Christian traits, these things that God said would just be natural outpourings of his presence in our lives. So I find this incredibly helpful visual because to me, self-control is just pulling down on the valve uh, restrictor to keep that fallen or flawed nature at bay. Like, don't say that, like stop that, like hold the top of that valve down. But what I have found so much more helpful in the last few weeks as I have just considered this is, wait a second, what if self-control isn't about holding onto the string that keeps the top of that valve closed? What if self-control is about slowing the moment down enough that I could actually exercise valve control and I could choose which valve to open? I didn't even know it at the time, but when I was talking to you about goodness a few weeks ago, I referenced this very same idea. I said, what if we just let goodness come out? Because it's our birthright, it is in our divine design. What I didn't realize at the time was that this actually is such a helpful analogy across the board. That self-control isn't about me controlling my flawed nature and keeping a lid on that flawed nature. That self-control is the control of myself enough to choose which valve I want to open. And for me, it takes a lot of self-control to slow a moment down. So go back to that that, uh, scenario where I am wanting to truth tell. If I can slow that moment down enough using the free will choice that God left me, even though I have a divine nature, God gave me the power of free will. If I could use self-control in the self-reliant way, if I could exercise my free will enough not to restrain my valve, but to pick which valve I wanted to be expressed in this moment, in that moment when I want to truth-tell in an emphatic and damaging way, if I can slow that moment down enough to tap into which valve I actually do want to release, Over time, I will find it easier and easier to slow the moment down and I will become, I have actually, even without language around it, I have become addicted to letting the spirit out, the valve that when I open my mouth, out comes words of life and words of encouragement. And let's say in this moment of truth telling where I am actually really loudly, this voice is wanting to be exercised. When I slow the moment down to say, okay, but which of these valves do I want to open? I find the more authentic self, the self that I respect, that I love, and I'm not finding it to be difficult self-restraint, the one that I'm actually drawn to, the one that I hold the most affection and affinity for, is actually this one, my divine design the place where God's Spirit gets to be expressed. I find I am not restraining myself, that I still tell truths, but I tell truths in a way now that build up the relationship that's here. I find myself, instead of fighting with someone, I'm fighting for us and we are fighting together. I find myself still able to say clarifying helpful truths, but in a way that doesn't damage you or doesn't damage us. I'll say I'm finding it more often. (laughs) Oh, that's, That's not a surefire bet yet. But the more I exercise this, even without this helpful analogy that I had just in the last couple of weeks, I got spirit and I have been practicing this. Which of these selves do I want to express in this moment? And if I can use my free will to slow the moment down to ask which self I want to express, then I can use the self-control, the free will that God gave me to release this valve. And the older I get, the more mature I get, the more I understand how relationships work, the more I hate eating crow because I've done it enough in my life by now. I find it doesn't actually take self-restraint to close this valve and open this valve. It isn't a muscle that I have to flex to make it happen. It isn't restraint. It doesn't speak most dominantly to my flawed nature. I get to enjoy who God says I am, which is his child, who he is working in, and I get to express that side without all the self-restraint. And in that way, this view of self-control is a triple win, because it naturally keeps this valve closed, which is a win, it finds not the should to open this valve. It finds the want to open this valve and I'm not exhausted in the process. It's a game changer, this view of self-control, a completely different interaction with myself that shows itself in different ways in my relationships that I've ever been able to do before. I find myself not holding my breath nearly so often. I find myself not having to circle back and apologize. All of the reasons why I have been tempted to enact self-reliance, self-control are completely handled in this and I don't have the exhaustion. And it's totally worth noting that the more often I engage with this valve, the more often I just let God's Spirit speak out of me the more addicted I become to it, the more I'm drawn to it and I want to do it and I can let go of this idea that self-control is a thing that I owe God or I should do as a good Christian. It's a beautiful thing. I actually want to read you a significant chunk of how Paul, an author in the Bible, describes this. So sit back. I want you to, if you close your eyes and you can listen better that way, that's fine. We're going to spend a few minutes just listening to some vision casting of basically how Paul, this ancient writer, viewed a very similar valve idea. He doesn't reference valves, but he talks about our two selves and our two approaches and how God's whisper of invitation to us, is out of self-reliance and into this interaction with His Spirit that just sets us free. Listen to this. It's Romans 8. With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, our fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's Spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end, Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he's doing in them. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who's not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, they won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you're delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's Spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. I think that description of the life of your choice between self-reliance or a spirit-driven life is the most fitting exit out of this entire Life Hacks series. It speaks so clearly to the choice we have before us, and it is not a choice between being impatient or patient, or being harsh or gentle, or being self-controlled and restrained, or making a bad choice. It's actually the choice between which of these valves will we access? Which one will we let express itself? And I think one of the most powerful pieces of this entire process is for us to realize that it isn't actually just a one-to-one. I can either choose to be unrestrained or choose to express my flawed nature, or I can muscle my way to open this door. They are just as easy to access because they are just as true a reality of who you are and how you were made. To me, that is one of the most challenging pieces of this teaching series is to press into the reality, to believe and to act as though it is true that I have both of these natures in me and I have just as much access, just as easy access to this Spirit-filled, God-driven life, as I do to my flawed nature. And that doesn't change, even if my circumstances get harder. It doesn't change. It gives me more opportunities to decide which valve I want to express, but it doesn't make this one any harder to express. This whole idea that God has made you with a divine nature that is imprinted with his fingerprint, and that he has given you his spirit. If you have chosen to identify yourself with God, that he gives you his spirit, puts it inside of you. These two ideas are what makes us capable of believing that this valve is as accessible as our flawed nature valve. This spirit that God has given us, it's described at a later point in the Bible in this way, and I just love how this one puts it. God did not give us a spirit that makes us afraid, amen. God did not give us a spirit that makes us afraid, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. Hello, I love it. We take the Christian traits down a notch, down to just three, and God says, listen, that spirit that I've put inside of you, it's known for, it's made of power. And love, that's natural to us. And self-control, this is the work that God does in you when we partner with his spirit. Can I get an amen? Just for review's sake, just to get this analogy right back into our minds, take it away, Steamboat Willie. Okay, God, as we wrap up this life hacks, and I don't know if I'm alone in this, but my spirit is not ready to let go of this conversation. I want to continue it because I can sense how much I need this idea in my life. But like all things in life right now, I'm throwing myself on the mercy of the courts. I'm going to hold you to this promise. Because I'm keenly aware that I need this teaching series in my life because I'm keenly aware that I'm still so tempted to think these are traits that I need and these are traits that I need to produce. So I'm throwing myself on the truth of that promise and I'm holding you to that promise. I'm gonna make a commitment that I'm gonna stay at this course to practice and learn how to open the valve that I truly want open. That's the one I want to express most often. So I'm going to make a commitment to you that I'm going to keep practicing that skill and develop that muscle. But I'm holding you to your promise to produce these things in my life. And that maybe sounds risky to like, it sounds a little bossy, (laughs) But I think when you make a promise like that, that you're like, dude, people lean in. Let me show you that I'm faithful. Let me show you what I can do. So I don't think that it is too gutsy or too presumptuous or too entitled to say, God, we are lost if you don't come through on this. But we know we can count on you. We're going to have to learn the skill of how to interact with you in such a way to let you out. Because I absolutely, in my practice, have already experienced that I can let out a little of both valves. That when I attempt to choose this valve, it doesn't necessarily keep this valve 100% closed. It's a skill. But I know you want us to learn this skill. I know you're cheering us on while we're practicing, even while we're failing at it. And I know because you've done this so many times in my life before I know you do more than your fair share When it comes to stuff like this, so I know you're not passively sitting back like "Mm I hope she can get that skill (laughs) I know that your sleeves are rolled up not just in encouraging me but actually helping me helping us learn how to do this So we're holding you to that promise, but we're also committing I'm committing, you can join me if you want to, committing to the journey, even as the conversation wraps up and we move on to another series that is so timely and I'm very excited about, even as we wrap this up, we're committing to a continued journey of what it means to figure out how to release you in our lives, let you live through us, show up in big ways in us and for us and around us. That is our quest and our journey and our commitment. It's in Jesus' name who you showed us what it looks like to live like this. It's in his name that raised him from the dead. It's in Jesus' name, our model. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.